glad you're here. If you have a Bible, you can take go to Philippians. We've been in this uh, book, and we will be for the next few weeks. And our teaching team's kind of going to lead us through this. And it's a it's an amazing little book, and kind of toward the back of your Bible. If you're uh, brand new and you don't know, but if you have a smartphone, you can actually go to YouVersion, and I've put a lot of my sermon notes and all the scripture we're going to look at tonight in there, and you can follow along. Red cups are out at Starbucks. What does that mean? It means Christmas is coming. I really thought there'd be more excitement about this. The red cups are out. It's exciting. Every Christmas time, I go to my garage and I pull out my ladder. And I get it because we're going to hang Christmas lights, right? In case you haven't noticed, I'm short, so I need a ladder. And so I get that ladder, and as I prepare to hang the Christmas lights, my littlest, Callista, stares at the ladder, and she gets like this. (laughs) Daddy, daddy, daddy. Daddy! 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 Yes, yes, honey. Can, can I, can I, what do you think she's asking? What do you think she's asking? Can I climb the ladder, right? Because there's something about a ladder for a little kid that's like, oh, 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 oh. Look how tall I am. You people are ants. And there's just an excitement with a little kid about a ladder, right? There's great joy in it. And every single Christmas, there's this pursuit. It occupies her mind. She will not think about anything else when the ladder is visible. And I don't know if we ever grow out of that. Because here's the truth. The ladder's for more than just hanging Christmas lights. In fact, maybe the ladder is a symbol of something else. When we get promotions or advancements, what do we say? She's climbing the corporate ladder. He's climbing the corporate ladder, right? Remember your first job? Some of you, that should scare you, your first job. It scared me. It was landscaping. I hated it. Made me go to college. What was your first job? You have 10 seconds. Turn to the person next to you. My first job was, what was it? Your first job. All right, who thinks they had the worst first job? How many of you worked fast food, first job? Okay, that's pretty rough, pretty rough. Any dog walkers, first job? No? Okay, good, because that's a messy job. Um, Maybe we could talk about first jobs, but every time you have a first job, what are you thinking? About your next job, right? And what you're wanting is to climb the ladder. Okay, I started at fast food, and okay, I know I don't want to do that, and so... I want to climb to the next rung, right? Remember T-ball? Maybe you played T-ball, right? And what did you think 
Well, you're always thinking about, man, I can't wait till the coach actually pitches to me, right? It's the next run, right? I can't wait till an actual player pitches the ball to me, and hopefully they won't hit me. And so what you're thinking is always the next run, right? And tonight, I want to look at a, a text in Philippians that Paul, in, in a roundabout way, you could say he's kind of circling around a ladder. The American dream is to climb the ladder, right? That's the American dream. We all have that in kind of this nuance of just who we are and where we live and, and how we approach and filter through life. And there's nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with climbing the ladder here. But I think you're going to see something tonight in Scripture that may push back against maybe some of this American dream. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to feel uncomfortable. And I think it's okay for us to feel uncomfortable. Sometimes some of the best lessons in life come when you feel uncomfortable. And tonight, I want us to look at what Paul's really saying here, because I think he's pushing back against some things and against this latter mentality, that maybe there's this tension that really exists that we need to wrestle with. And, and maybe if you lean in close enough tonight, there'll be some practical application for you as a follower of Jesus and how we view and how God is calling us to view this idea of the ladder and what the culture and what the world kind of says. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, well, then maybe this won't apply to you, except that maybe you're going to get an inside look, kind of behind the curtain peek at what Jesus really thinks and how he really lived and what he calls his followers to be and be about. So I want you to kind of keep that latter mindset, that picture in the back of your mind. My hope is that three weeks from now, when you go to hang your Christmas lights and you look at a ladder, that maybe you never look at a ladder the same way again. So Philippians chapter 2 starts off with kind of a bang, right? So can I just read it a little bit? First couple verses here, Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness, any compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. He speaks of this unity, and Paul is saying to this church in Philippi, he's saying, look, if you have any of this encouragement, then, if, then, if, then, if, then, you probably heard some if-then statements growing up, didn't you? Remember when you were a kid and you're sitting at the dining room table and you had those things on your plate that was a hard word to spell and was even harder to eat called vegetables? Remember? Are you with me? And your parents would look at you and they'd say, if you eat your vegetables, then what? You get ice cream. You get, ice cream, you get dessert, right? If you finish what's on your plate, you can have what? Dessert. Some if-then statements. If, if the coach maybe would say, if we run this last lap really well, we'll end practice early. Can I get an amen? <laughs> maybe that was an if-then statement. You remember, if you clean your room and you do your chores, then we'll think about allowing you to go out on Friday night. These if-then statements. My father had one. If... You get straight A's. I will buy you a Ferrari. Whoa. 
My eyes would get so big, my heart would start pumping, and then he would say this little statement that bugged me. He'd say, it's money in the bank. Money in the bank. Why? Because I never got straight A's. <laughs> the whole way through elementary, junior high, high school, it didn't matter. Every start of the year, hey, you get straight A's. I'll buy you a Ferrari. What? Are you kidding me? I got the best dad in the world. And then I never did it. And then I went to seminary. And I got straight A's for four years. And I called him up. And I said, Dad, I got straight A's. And he said something about statute of limitations. I don't know. It's, just, <laughs> it's really annoying. Paul is kind of saying, look, if, and it's really not just these if-then statements. Really what he's saying is because then. Because of this love that Christ has given you. Because you've experienced it. Because of his compassion." Then make my joy complete, being like-minded, being unified. And he's speaking to this early church, and he says, you need to have unity. Now listen, conformity is about everyone being the same. Unity is about everybody being on the same page. And the scripture always calls us to unity, not conformity. You are wired up individually. God handcrafted you. You are unique. There is no one like you. Don't try to be somebody else. Be you. God created you that way. And yeah, there's some nicks and bruises and some hard edges that maybe he needs to kind of chip away at in your personality. If you're a jerk, don't be a jerk, right? <laughs> so God's trying to chip away at some of those things. And this idea of conformity sometimes, we sometimes hear the church say, everyone be this way. And the truth is, it's not that. Everyone be unified. That's what the scripture is saying. That's what Paul is writing to this church. And he's saying, look, this diversity that you have, you have to understand the church of Philippi, it had, it had a slave girl in it, right? And she had just found Jesus. And she's in the lower class of society, not only a slave, but a woman back in that culture, right? And she's there, with this merchant woman who had made it big and who was rich. And they're there with a jailer who worked for Rome. And nobody liked him. Why? Because he worked for Rome. And you think about the diversity that's in the early church. People from all different economic statuses, all different kind of backgrounds, all different kind of levels of personality and, and introverts and extroverts and all this kind of stuff and all the diversity. And Paul's saying, look, the church is going to be known by its unity. And that's everyone being on the same page, not everyone being identical, not everyone conformed to being exactly the same, but being this unified force for God. Friends, the church today, the church today needs this more than ever, doesn't it? The church, let's just be honest about it, has got a black eye in our community. Why? Because maybe we've focused so much on conformity instead of focusing on unity. We're to be unified around Jesus. This movement of Jesus is really all about Jesus, not how you do church. 
There's parts in that, and there's preferences, but that's what they are. They're preferences. They're not principles. And you can't die on the hill of preferences. You die on the hill of principles, and the principle is Jesus. He's who we follow. And as the church today begins to live with this one voice, unified in a way to begin to proclaim to a broken, hurting world that this church, this church of Jesus, welcomes everyone. This church of Jesus says, you are allowed here. Why? Because grace is for everyone, because everyone needs it. When you walked in the door, you needed grace. And when you leave tonight, you're going to need grace. And when you wake up on Tuesday, you're going to need grace. And when you go to sleep Friday, you're going to need grace. We all need it. And grace is not only this reconciliation that I get to have a relationship and have life with God now, but it's also this daily fuel that I live with and that I'm empowered by God himself to begin to live this way. And Paul's saying to this church, live unified. He goes on, he makes this incredible statement, verse uh, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. <laughs> How many of you have done something out of selfish ambition? Raise your hand. Real high. That's everybody in here, right? So Paul's right out of the gate making this incredibly radical statement. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Whoa, nothing like aiming the bar high, right? Do nothing, really? Out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interest of others. That's a radical statement. A radical calling to the church, these Jesus followers back in the first century. And Paul is saying, look, the way you live needs to be different. And so much of this world is consumed with what? Climbing the ladder. And when you climb the ladder, what? That's about you, isn't it? And if you got to step on people to get up the ladder, well, they're just in the way. Again, nothing wrong with the ladder. But maybe Paul's beginning to challenge a mindset here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in vain conceit, but in humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Don't look only to your own interests, but also the interest of others. Keep your focus off of just you. And keep your focus on the people around you. Jesus said it this way. The people will know you're my followers by the way you love one another. See, in a culture that's all about me and all about the latter, it's really easy to focus on me, isn't it? It's really easy to say it's all about me and I, I'm going to focus just on me and I'm going to climb the ladder. And there's this tension that Paul's kind of pointing at and he says, look, don't get consumed with the ladder. You've got to begin to think differently. I remember graduating from college, moving to Colorado and I got my first apartment. How many of you have had your first apartment, you lived out maybe in the first dorm room, been out on your own? It's an amazing feeling, right? There's this incredible freedom that comes with that, right? And you're like, man, I got space that's all my own. It's great. And then like two or three days into it, you start recognizing all the other noises that are not you. And it's the people around you. And we had a guy above us who was 
older, and he was beginning to struggle with the prostate, if you know what I mean. And every 3 a.m., we would be welcomed into his adventure. And we're like, really, pee guy, really? And suddenly, the apartment didn't have the allure that it had a few days before that. And then we got our first house in Colorado, a block from the railroad tracks, in between a low-income apartment building and a small charismatic church. And we were there. It used to be a preschool, a nursery. It turned into a house. And, and we lived there next to the thumping bass and the police car sirens and the train whistles every single day. And that was the soundtrack of our life. And then we moved back to Tucson, and we got a three-bedroom home, right? We were like, oh, hey, we're in a neighborhood now. Like, there's other people with similar-looking houses. And we were there, and it was great. And then the yard's kind of small, and then you kind of move to the house we're in now, and we're like, okay, we're out a little bit further, and, but we have this space, and we can raise our family, and there's always this stepping up the ladder. And again, there's nothing wrong with that per se. But what Paul's getting ready to push us on is sometimes that's really an attitude of all about you. Again, nothing necessarily wrong, but maybe what he's getting ready to say next begins to push a little bit against that. He's saying this American dream and the economy and the kingdom of this world is maybe different than Jesus's dream and the economy of how his kingdom seems to work. And upward mobility is something we fully understand. We like it. We crave it. We want it. We like words like advancement and promotion. We don't like words like downscaling or decreasing or losing or demotion. We don't like those words. And yet, Paul's getting ready to point to the latter of how Jesus sees this. And throughout history, all of Christendom, there are a few people who have struggled, maybe mature believers even, who still struggle with this notion that of what we're getting ready to talk about and what Philippians begins to point out. See, Paul says in Philippians chapter one, here's kind of my life motto, my life goal to, to me, for me to live is, to cry, is Christ. For me to live is Christ. I want to live for Christ. I want to honor Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to proclaim Christ. I want to obey Christ. I want to advance the cause of Christ. And it's not just always about my story and my cause. My story somehow has got to fit into that, to that greater story that we kind of looked at last week. So how do you do that? How does that begin to actually take traction and, and to find traction within your life? How do you begin to actually see that out? And maybe that's what Paul begins to get at verse five. Here's what he says. He's just saying, look, do nothing out of selfish ambition. That's a high bar set. He's challenging. And he says, your attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude, you gotta check your attitude is what he's saying. It needs to be the same as the mindset of Christ Jesus. See, the secret to being great in the eyes of God, maybe the quickest way to bring a smile to the heart of God is to mimic the mindset and to follow the example of Jesus. To mimic his mindset and to follow his example. And what that begins to look like and how that begins to change life, we begin to see in what Paul writes, this incredible poem. Some scholars believe this is a, a, a uh, early song or a, a praise song that the early church would have sung or read aloud. Some scholars think maybe Paul wrote this. 
We don't really know, but it's an amazing thing. Can I just read it to you? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to unpack what that is. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't consider this equality something to be grasped. See, what you have to understand is Jesus is fully God. Jesus wasn't a, a subsidiary of God. He isn't a, a helper to God. He isn't the secretary for God. He is equal with God. He's a full-fledged member of the Trinity, which I know is a, a, a hard concept to get our minds around, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But Jesus is God. He's full privileges, full rights. He isn't, he isn't the vice president of God. He's not the, John, you know, the Joe Biden of God. Thank goodness. He is the Almighty, the same and equal with the Almighty Father in every way, shape, and form. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah the prophet gets this vision of the throne room and the angels who are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You have to understand Jesus is hearing that. He's hearing that. They're singing to him. And yet, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to clutch and hang on to, but he freely gave that. He released his grip. Think about that. How easy is it for you to release the grip of your position, of the little bit of power that you have, of your possessions that you've acquired, how easy is it for you to release the grip that you have on those things or the grip they have on you? Jesus, when he begins to have this picture and he begins to see about this, we have to understand Jesus is at the top. He's not climbing a ladder. He's already here. And Jesus says, okay, equality with God is maybe not something that's going to be easy to grasp. So he comes in the form of a servant. Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. It's the incarnation. He empties, releases some of his privileges. He doesn't stop being God. He just releases the grip on those privileges that he has. And he comes and he humbles himself. And he climbs down the ladder. And in climbing down the ladder, he's putting God on full display, the love of God on full display for us to see and for us to experience and for us to have it change our lives, that he begins to climb down and says, there is something in this pursuit of him pursuing you, that he loves you, and that he came to rescue you, and that he came to, to bring you into relationship with God, that life with God is now available through him, and he humbles himself, and not just even humbles himself to being like man, but being fully man, and even lower than that, he comes, and his arrival isn't in fanfare. It's in a stable. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. He didn't show up in a palace. He didn't show up in a Ferrari. 
showed up next to some mules and camels and the trough where they ate. And he humbles himself. And he releases. And he begins to live with this notion. This Jesus who used to hear, holy, holy, holy. See, Jesus was present at creation. He was present at the very beginning. He will be present at the very end. And yet in this moment in history, he releases and he descends and he climbs down the ladder to pursue people who spend all of their energy trying to climb a ladder that maybe is even leaning against the wrong wall. And he says, I've come for you. I've come for you. And this downward descent is something we don't like. Everything in us wants to climb the ladder. We want people to acknowledge us. We want people to see us. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you make that your entire focus of life, you will maybe make it to the top someday. And you'll make it to the top and you'll look down and here's what you'll know. There's always another rung. And maybe the view at the top isn't as great as you thought it was. Do you know people like that? That they made it to the top, but then they realize there's always another rung. And they realize maybe it's not as great as I thought it was. And maybe there's still some things I'm searching for. Maybe some things I'm, I still have a hollowness within me. And Jesus says there's a different way. If you realize that in God's grace you're already at the top, you're a, you're a son of the king, you're a daughter of the king because of Jesus and because of his grace, you're already at the top. You don't have to climb. You don't have to claw your way up. You've already arrived because you have life with God. Because of what Jesus did, he says, you can have life with God. You can have everything that your heart longs for. And it may not be in things, but you can have the thing your heart longs most for and its connection with your creator, a reuniting of your hearts together, that life shared one to another, that you're not alone. And you can have that, and you have meaning, and you are already at the top as a son and daughter of the king. And when we live with an identity, we can begin to maybe live and mimic the mindset and the behavior that we see in Jesus, that he spent and released his privileges and said, it's not about climbing the ladder. It's actually about coming down the ladder. Jesus said it like this in Mark. He said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And when you live with the mindset of I'm going to actually live out of my identity, that I am a son and daughter of the king, I'm already at the top, and I don't have to try to keep clawing up here. And I can live the American dream. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't have to make that my only dream. And I actually can live in God's dream where I begin to live as I, I climb down the ladder. And I climb down the ladder to seek and to serve those around me and to love the people that God brings across my path. And as I do that, then God says, that's a life I can use, and I will exalt that life. What's the Bible often say? God humbles the proud, but he lifts up the humble. God 
exalts the humble. Here's what happened for Jesus. Can I just read it to you? So Jesus climbs down the ladder, right? He gets down here. He humbles himself not only to death, but death is a criminal. Crucifixion was probably the most painful kind of death anyone could ever go through. And Jesus took that on, on your behalf and on my behalf. To say this brokenness, this sin that separates us from God, it doesn't have to separate you any longer. That as you trust me, I'm gonna do this on your behalf. And as you give your life to me, then you can have life with God. And then you can begin to live out of being a son and daughter of the king and you already have arrived. You don't have to claw your way up. You can live out of that identity and then you can begin to mimic my mindset and follow the model of my behavior as I climb down the ladder. And Jesus climbed down and here's what God says that he did for Jesus. It goes on, Paul's writing, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him a name that is above every name. There is no name higher. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Under heaven and earth and everything under the earth, everything, his name is above everything. There is no one higher. Every tongue confesses that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's story gets bigger. And God lifts up the humble. What if we spent our life saying, I don't want to climb the ladder. It's okay to, but I don't want to make that my only focus and my only pursuit and it become all-consuming. I want to live out of my identity as a son and daughter of the king, that I have life with God. And as that, I begin to live with this mindset where I can climb down the ladder. And it's not about my position. It's not about my possessions. It's I get to be down here, and I get to be useful for God. And as I live my life being useful for him, he'll take care of helping me up the ladder. He'll take care of that. Jesus said it this way, the greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That if we spend our life saying, I'm going to climb down the ladder, and I'm going to look for ways to be useful and to love and to serve and to share, God will take care of getting me up the ladder in this kingdom. But I can live for his kingdom that's different than that. That the American dream says, it's my pursuit of status of me climbing the ladder one more rung, that's where I'm going to find significance and meaning. And God's dream says, you already have it. You already have significance and meaning. You already have redemption, thanks to his grace. Now let go and release this, this claim for status and follow the mindset and mimic the behavior of your Savior and live out of that. God exalts the humble, and you can spend your life striving to climb the ladder, or you can spend your life easily coming down the ladder and serving the people around you. Can I give you four action steps? As I was thinking through this message, here's four things that kind of jumped out to me looking through Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. First one is this. Be a person that stops keeping score. 
So much of our life is about score. I did this for you, now you have to do this for me. What is that? That's keeping the score. That, that's, that's living with a mindset where I don't just think of others' needs, I think of mine. And what is Paul saying? Look, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't look only to your own interests, but also the interest of others. Don't be a person who keeps score all the time or lives with a mindset of, do you know who I am? Do you know me? And that's our culture. It pushes us to do that. And Jesus is saying, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't walk around going, do you know who I am? I was here long before your mama. He didn't say that. He came to serve. The Son of Man came to seek and serve those who were lost. See, an entitlement mentality corrupts a servant's heart every single time. An entitlement mentality will corrupt a servant's heart every single time. And as we seek to live as servants of the king, we've got to let go of the scorecard. Stop keeping score. First one, the second one is this. Start at home. What does it mean to be a person who begins to live this service mentality who says, I'm going to climb down the ladder? Friends, start at home. It's really easy sometimes to go serve other people that you don't know and that you probably won't meet again. And so you have a moment, a project, if you will, where I served and I, I helped the less fortunate, and that's a good thing. We should do that, and we will do that. We have done that. We'll continue to do that. But it can't be the only place a servant's heart's being formed within you. In fact, the best place for that to begin being formed within you is within the people you live in proximity with because those are the hardest to serve sometimes, isn't it, if we're honest? It's hard for me to serve my kids when they don't have the attitude I want them to have, right? It's hard to serve someone that you're frustrated with. But see, that's when a servant's attitude actually begins to gain more traction in your heart and you'll begin to live out of the overflow. That's what Jesus did. He just lived out of who he was. It wasn't an act for him. It wasn't something he had to gear himself up to do. It's just who he was. He served. So start at home. Jesus said, people will know you're my followers by the way you love one another, and that may start with your siblings, and that may start with your parents, your nieces and nephews, and the people that you're close to, and the people that actually, what, know the dirt about you, <laughs> that you actually choose to serve. Maybe a third one. Do it for Jesus. Serve as worship. Serve as worship. As we serve Jesus, as we serve the people around us, we're serving Jesus. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 25 where he says, as you do this to the least of these, you're doing this for me. As we serve people around us, it is a form of worship to say, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm not doing this to get accolades. I'm not doing this to get a pat on the back. I'm not doing this to get an attaboy. I'm doing this because I love you and because you did this for me. You left everything. Every privilege you had, you let go of to come down on a search and rescue mission for me. And you served me. What does Jesus do with his disciples the very last moments that they're together before the cross? He grabs a towel and he washes their feet. And he says to them, you do it like this. You serve. You put other people in front of you and you serve them. 
and God will take care of the rest. Maybe a fourth one. Practice little acts of service every day in some way. Every day in some way. Why? Because it's difficult to develop a servant's heart if you're not practicing it. Just like it's difficult to do anything in life well if you're not practicing. And those of you who have been in sports, you know that. Those of you who have practiced and played an instrument, you know that. You've got to practice. And if you don't feel like it, tough. Do it. Sometimes the old saying, you got to fake it till you make it, applies to service. Serve people, and I promise you, it will become more and more a personality trait within you. Serving is more than a short-term project. It's a long-term personality trait that God wants to develop in us. Practice serving, and it will become a habit. I wrote these words. The remotest form of greatness comes in service. And though it may not always be acknowledged or noticed, it is a required part of having the mindset of God. It, it just, it's a mandate. It's not something that we get to kind of do, we're called to do it. And that's what Paul is saying to the church. That's what he says to this church, go serve. Friends, we have the opportunity to move into the, to the part of our city that is in desperate need of people serving and loving people. Healthy people saying, we're gonna go serve because we love you and because you have value, not based on what you bring to the table, but based on the fact that God says you have value. I met with a principal this week of an elementary school that's not gonna be very far, three, three blocks from where we're gonna be meeting. 99% of the kids are on free and reduced lunch, which means poverty level or below. 425 kids. And I'm telling you, I went back to my office and I bawled like a baby for like two hours. God was breaking my heart because the need is so big. God, how can we meet that? How can we do that? And I kept coming back to do for one what you wish you could do for all. So we're gonna figure out who that one is and we're gonna serve and we're gonna love and in the context of that, we're going to trust that the God who can multiply fishes and loaves, well, he can still be the God who does that today. And so we're going to start, and we're going to do for one what we wish we could do for all. And we'll figure out what that looks like. The path to greatness in God's eyes isn't found on an ascent upwards into being served, but into the downward climb of serving. That's the pursuit we have, and that's who we sing to. We're gonna move on with our service and offer a time of communion that I have to my left or right. You're welcome to participate in that as a follower of Jesus. We're gonna sing a couple of songs and then Brian will come up and we'll kind of dismiss. So that's kind of how our service is gonna go if you're new. But I want you to think about this ladder. And my hope is that you'll never look at a ladder the same way again. Because it is this tension. It isn't something you're gonna solve and everything is gonna be done. It's just this tension of the culture in which we live that says, I wanna climb the ladder. And again, I can do that. You can do that. But if you make that your only pursuit, then you're gonna miss out on the benefit of becoming a person that has the mindset of Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. You have the attitude of Christ. And what is his attitude like? Well, he climbs down ladders and he serves people. And as you do that, God will take care of lifting you up. You'll be a person that climbs down. And as we take communion, we remember that it was Jesus 
who left every privilege and said, you're worth pursuing. Even in your brokenness and even in your lostness and even in your wandering, having wanting maybe nothing to do with God, God said, you're still worth pursuing. And so Jesus came and he lived this life and he pointed people to God and he gave up his life, sacrificed that on the cross. A sinless life given up for our brokenness and our sin that we now might have life because of faith and grace in him. So that's why we take communion. And so, Father, I just pray as we move into this worship moment, as we sing about you, as we lean into you, would you continue to stir our hearts with what does it mean to be a servant? What does it mean to live as a person who climbs down ladders and who serves the community and serves people around us? And what does it mean to to do that? And I pray for each one here that we'd know what the next step for us is. For some of us, maybe it's saying, God, I need to cling on to you because you're the one that did that for me, and I've never really said thank you. And maybe that's your next step. Maybe it's a next step of saying, okay, how do I live this out at home? How do I live this out at the workplace? So, Father, in these moments as we remember the life of Jesus, that he's a God who climbs down ladders to seek and to serve, make us a people like that. And take us on a journey in these next few months and years ahead. That you take care of lifting us up. And we'll do our best to serve like you served. To love like you loved. So Father, be in these moments. Stir our hearts.